Sorry, start again. Man, I was, I was on a roll. I there, know you sorry. were. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gerardo Polly. And this, I'm oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> One of the best bits of advice I've ever received was to find good mentors and to learn from them. Trusted people who have already done what you're trying to do now. I've been fortunate throughout my career to have some fantastic mentors to help guide me, but I realized that they'd be hard to find and also hard to commit the time to one. This is why we've gathered some of the best minds from the veterinary world and squeezed them for their wisdom so that you don't have to learn the hard way. With the help of our guests, we flip the veterinary profession on its back and explore its soft underbelly to find the tips, tools, and inspiration that you'll need to build the career that you've always wanted. I'm Gerardo Poli. I'm Hubert Hemstra, and this is The Vet Vault. In today's episode, we speak to a vet who, in his 26 years in the veterinary profession, has experienced some fantastic highs but also some of the very darkest lows. His journey has taught him crucial lessons on how to not only survive, but thrive in this sometimes challenging profession of ours. And we are very fortunate that he is happy to share those lessons with us with such honesty and openness. Dr. Oliver Layu graduated from the University of Queensland in 1993 with first class honours. He's the principal veterinarian and owner of the Equine Veterinary Dentistry Services, which he started in 2002. He has three teenage boys, a wonderful loving partner, and lives on a 60-acre property with horses, cattle, and his business in South Grafton, northern New South Wales in Australia. Since 2002, Oliver has coordinated and hosted equine dentistry training workshops for over 600 vets from all over the world. He was the first Australian vet to sit and pass membership exams in equine dentistry in 2007. He's also authored several scientific papers and lectured on equine dentistry throughout Australia and internationally, and he regularly publishes articles to raise awareness of welfare in horses. He's also co-designed many high-quality equine dental instruments, including the PorterSafe Stocks trailer, which he distributes exclusively to vets through his EVDS website at evds.net.au. We'll include links to this in the show notes if you wanted to check out some of the cool things he's developed. But it hasn't been an easy road for Oliver. Since graduating as a vet 25 years ago, he has survived all of the following. Lasting almost 10 years in his first business that he started the day after graduating, a suicide attempt in 2005, a divorce five years later, and almost going bankrupt and a business partnership dissolution soon after that. Despite these setbacks, he has emerged as a happy and balanced individual with a good business who remains positive about life, his career, and the veterinary profession overall. Some of the topics we discuss today are essential listening for many of us, like what success looks like as a vet, what Oliver calls the paradox of being exceptional, the importance of learning to say no with a smile, and why it's important to sometimes be shit at stuff. Oliver talks candidly about his suicide attempt, how to recognize the warning signs when things are going wrong, his journey beyond that period in his life, and how to protect yourself against things ever getting this far. You'll also hear Oliver's eight tips for surviving veterinary science. 
So please join us. In fact, I urge you to join us for this ultimately uplifting episode with Dr. Oliver Laiyu. Hi, Gerardo. Oh, well, that's my key. No, Thank I'm just you, saying man. hello. How are you? <laughs> Hi, Hubert. How are you going? Good. Thanks, mate. Yourself. And welcome to Oliver, our guest today. Howdy, gents. When me and Gerardo started this project, we thought we want to get inputs from, from vets who are successful as veterinarians. But we learned very quickly that that's a hard thing to, to define, is what, what is a successful veterinarian? I'd like to get your input. What, what does success look like to you as a, as a, in the veterinary profession? Yeah, it's interesting because I've, I've asked the same question, I guess, of myself and also um, those who I meet. And I, I guess as an undergrad, I thought, you know, the pinnacle of success in, in veterinary science was becoming a, you know, a specialist. And since then, I've really changed my view on that a lot. And to me I, now, I think it's more about, you know, reaching that point in your career where you feel both confident and competent in your work, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. But you also have that great passion and enthusiasm that you started off with in your journey as a new grad or an undergrad. So, you know, you're still driven to really want to help owners to help their animals and or contributing to overall animal health uh, in, in your field. Um, and I guess the other key is to try and find a way to do that that suits you so you're you know competent and confident and doing good work but also allowing enough time for you to have some sort of rest and play in amongst the work periods as well and i guess the ultimate is then being able to give back to the profession once you've got your own backyard nicely secure and um you know set up and Mm -hmm. you've got a bit of uh, resources and time and energy to help help the younger ones i guess Yeah, I love it how it was uh, how you talked about being competent and, and confident, but also still have that enthusiasm um, mm-hmm. because success is not just being great at something; it's also still loving what it is that you still do. You could be a millionaire and 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 class that has been successful, but then you could be a really unhappy millionaire Absolutely. and still be classified as successful based on the criteria, mm-hmm. unless you still have enthusiasm and passion. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but also what you said there was, was great um, with regards to like the, the still want and the, the, the desire to help and contribute. It's almost like contribution, confidence and competence and enthusiasm or something. You know, you still want to help people. Mm. You want to help animals. And mm. yeah, I thought it was a beautiful summary. Mm. Yeah, I think it's, I, I sort of look at life and I look at other people and I sort of think the older we get, the more we want to sort of do what we wanted when we were kids. <laughs> and you know, that, that's a crazy thing, but it's so simple. And I think we can apply that to our careers as well. And it's nice to be able to stand back from the sort of Russian bustle of practice and think, well, this is pretty cool that we can be helping little dogs and cats or horses or whatever, you know, that we wanted to do when we were kids. And you know, we dreamt about the James Harriet and all that sort of feeling because we're just, we're chasing the feelings, you know, that's what we're chasing. Mm. I think I'm too old to become a fireman now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I think they'll, they'll still take you on, mate. But I don't know if you can help me with podcasts if you start putting out house fires. Maybe we need a new version of uh, James Herriot or something like that. Maybe that, you know, his books of the time inspired yeah. everyone to go out to and, and, and do mixed practice, right? Because I, like when I wanted to, when I was, um, was, was going to graduate, my, my first, uh, 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 I would say, my goal job or dream job was to work at a 
large animal practice, which didn't do horses, sorry, Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> and did so it was it was dairy and cattle and smallies. And the reason why um, I say I didn't want to do horses is because I had three pretty traumatic experiences with horses. I never grew up with them um, and almost got killed three times. As a, as a student or as a student oh really yeah as i got kicked in the chest and then almost got swiped in the face by a hoof and then the last one i think i got kicked again and i, I just i realized that actually i didn't know enough and the only way to know enough is to just to spend more time in it but then i thought yeah. <laughs> more time in it, i'll probably be dead yeah. so, <laughs> they're beautiful creatures i just never quite skilled at them yeah. So, yeah. yeah and that that's a fact and i think that we need to acknowledge that as well that we can't put you know, young vets in those dangerous situations. You know, the, the workplace health and safety aspects of it are enormous. And you see most really good equine practitioners eventually get nailed and, you know, put in hospital. Um, I saw a study that came out of New Zealand said the average time off work for a large animal vet in Australia after a work injury was, the average injury was a broken bone. The average time off work is how much do you think? over a lifetime or per injury uh, per injury for that broken bone the broken bone being the average injury you know scale of injury the average time off work was one day what <laughs> and what? That, that's one day. whoa i was thinking like a month <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's, that's how ridiculously dysfunctional you know the professional expectations are you know and you can't go putting new graduates and who don't have a lot of horse experience in front of a horse. You know? so, yeah. That's interesting. That that statistic is, is, is interesting. And I've, I've often wondered, is that a, is it a, a profession expectation or is it expectations that, that vets put on themselves? Are they just those sort of people who go, yep, I'll be all right. I can do it. I can, I, I can, I don't, it's, it's, it's just a broken leg. I'll go back to it. Yeah. <laughs> After five years, maybe there's enough struggle and, pain and torture then you just like that's just that's just how it is you know you honor the struggle and 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 that's just part of life i suppose but either that or it's just no one to replace you and you're working by yeah, yourself yeah that's probably part of it as well uh, yeah if you're wow. not doing it somebody's got to do the job hmm. i'm gonna jump a little bit to something that uh, that came up in in our first conversations oliver uh you I asked you for for things you wanted to talk about and you you gave me a statement that that fascinates me i'd love to i'd love to hear what you what you're talking about the quote was you'd like to talk about the paradox of getting better at what you do and the and that mediocrity can be cooler than exceptional mm. please expand on that yeah well something that i guess this uh little epiphany came to me when i decided that i couldn't keep doing mixed practice after sort of 10 years, I realized that, you know, I had a, a really good clientele and following. But the problem with that is that um, they all wanted, you know, high level workups and treatments for their animals, but they didn't, they wanted me to treat them and not, you know, take them to Brisbane to a referral center or something, because they think, you know, you're better than what you really are, I guess, mm. or something. Like that. But um so yeah, I just found myself having to read more and more on every you know everything from a budgie to a cow to a horse to a snake, you know. And mm. um, but it was more the wider I said, yeah, I'll have a go in that. The more stress comes on me, you know, to get the the outcome they were after. Yeah. And I think that can be said for any um, any any 
professional job that we do that, you know, once we're going well and we've got a smile on our face and we're kicking goals, we then become, you know, looked upon by others as the person to go and see because they'll probably have the answers, you know. So whether that be a client coming to you or a colleague coming to you or your kids coming to you, you know, the more you're coping, the more people are going to come to you to to ask for help. And when it's veterinary help, you know, it's it's um, you know, it's it's more I guess more serious than that. So yeah, I just sort of found that the wider I opened the door, the more people would come in and you know, that's, which would mean and when I went to my own business, I thought, well, if I say I'm going to do emergencies, I'll be working 24-7 because, mm. you know, you just say, well, yeah, I can do that. I can I can do that. I can help you with that. Mm. So, yeah, on a simple, and it's very simple stuff, I guess. But, um, you know, unless you learn to say no with a smile and sort of set some boundaries, you're going to keep, especially if you keep getting results, you know, when people come to you with their problems or their requests, if you keep helping them, you know, they'll tell a friend and they'll come to you and that's yep. sort of, um, yep. you know, I guess you can keep putting your prices up, but how do you put your price up for a colleague who's ringing you about a difficult case or, you know, or your kid who wants to spend more time with you and that, you know, you say, yeah, it's learning to say no and learning to, um, you know, but that's, I think, something that's a little bit foreign to the helping and caring sort of nature that a lot of um people who want to do vet science, they, they do it because they want to help people. So it's it's not something that we're innately born with. Um, most of us, some some probably are, but I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. I, I get what you're saying with regards to being capable. Um, capable Capability is, is something that we're all striving to be capable at, at things. And when you build and become more capable, you intuitively then want to take more on or feel like you can take more on. So yeah. then you start piling more shit on, you start yeah. becoming more capable and then you pile more on. Yeah. It's like, it, it's, it's like the, that they, they can refer or it's referred to as a strong suit. So it's, it's kind of like your superpower, right? But it's also your kryptonite at the same time where mm. um, your biggest strength becomes your weakness because you just eventually it's a thing that actually breaks you down. So, mm. yeah, well, you end up doing more things in a certain amount of time. And so you're juggling more balls and then, you know, you've, you've sort of, worked hard to get there and you have the expectations and the standards you set for yourself. So when you start dropping balls, it hurts more than if you didn't have those expectations or, you know, levels of success that you were looking for. And, and it's, it's the same thing. You stop doing the basic fundamentals and that's why you make the mistakes. You think you, you know, you, you haven't got time to do the basics anymore. Then you drop a few balls, you make some mistakes, you kill the odd animal because you didn't do something fundamental and that, mm. Yeah, and I think it goes for specialists as well. You know, it's really hard for a specialist because they're being called so many times a day by general practitioners about what do you do here, what do you do here, mm. and often they're doing it for free, the advice, and, you know, it takes time. And if they don't give the really thorough answer, you know, it's going to be frowned upon if they forgot to, they omitted to say something really essential and fundamental and gave that wrong advice. And mm. same goes if you're treating an animal, you know, if you're, you might think no, but yeah, skip one, skip taking his temperature or something, and it can come back and bite you. So, yeah. Yeah, I totally see what you're saying. Um, what's the solution? How do how do you prevent oh. the how do you prevent the paradox? Oh, it's putting the boundaries up, saying yeah. no. You know, it's uh, learning to say no with a smile. You know that you know, not feeling guilty about saying no, yeah. not feeling guilty about. And for me, the big one was when I went out on my own in practice. There was everyone just thought I was going to do emergencies and I just said, no, I can't do it. I'm going to be busy doing elective stuff. And, uh, 
as it turned out, you know, I was flat out from the get-go just doing elective stuff. So if I had done emergencies as well, I would have done a far worse job because I would have been running around like a, you know, crazy blue-ass fly and, you know, just not really helping anyone, especially myself. So I think it's, yeah, just a trap for high achievers in general that, you know, you're wanting to help, you're wanting to do your best, you think you can just keep going. And, um, yeah, I think... Just people have to be careful that they, and I see it all the time in these young vets who come through our training workshops. They, they just push themselves to the limit and, and then they fall in a big heap and say, how did that happen? And you think, well, that's coming for five years, you know? Like, yeah, absolutely. Can I build on that, Oliver? Um, so there's something that I've come across recently and I, and I thought it was awesome. <laughs> Actually, I didn't mean to say that word. I thought it was great. Um, and it's that average is awesome and, and, this, you know, the generation coming through, myself included, you know, we were told when it's once we got into vet school that we were the cream of the crop. We were like the upper echelon of of achievers um, at, at the university. So acknowledge ourselves. And I don't I have no issues with self-acknowledgement. I think it's incredibly important in terms of building resilience and, and so forth. But um, but what, what happens is you start to feel this kind of uh, feeling that you're exceptional, right? And you even just said it there. You know, exceptional is in your quote there but then what happens is you start to put pressure on yourself exactly what you were saying there so now it comes back to the circle and, and comes back now to actually being okay with being average and it's it's absolutely a fallacy to think that we're exceptional because mm-hmm. there are people out there who are so much better at other things that we're not good at yeah. right we might be exceptional at one particular thing but we might be completely shit at something else yeah right so to think that we're exceptional as a whole i think it's an absolute flaw because yeah. what happens then is when we don't do something good or we do fail at something we have this unrealistic expectation of ourselves being exceptional because of who we are and what we've achieved and in, in, in so forth at university and when we're working and so forth mm. so the average average is awesome yeah, right. average is <laughs> mediocre. Yeah, you want yeah, to be in the middle good. of the pack. You don't want to be at the top. You don't want to be last. <laughs> well, even but, if you uh, think you're at the top, you're probably at the top of a small little little pinnacle of people, right? But then you're yeah. probably the worst at something else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I totally agree. It's, um, yeah, and you're only as good as your last job, and there's always someone better than you. There's always someone worse off than you. So I just sort of think, yeah, keep it. Keep it real and embrace the failures. That's my, <laughs> you learn from your mistakes. Mm. No, I really like that. Thank you for sharing that. That is good. I'm sitting, I was sitting here trying to, trying to get my, my head around it. And um, like, I can't, I, 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 you have to, to meditate on this one a little bit. I think I'm trying to, I'm trying to apply it to my own life and how I, how I work and how I live and sitting here going, yeah, I, I, I I, I do the same. You, you you think you have to be great at everything, and um, I, I personally maybe identify the things that you that you are good at, and 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 then everything else let yourself off the hook a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I think you've got to enjoy taking the piss out of yourself, basically. You know, like have a laugh, and you know, don't lose your sense of humor, and just you know, be shit at stuff, and just laugh at it. It's good to go and be shit at stuff. <laughs> 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 fashion sense or well you make mistakes right and you learn from your mistakes mistakes and the people who have done something who people who are better at something than you they've probably made a lot more mistakes getting there so they you haven't done or as had as many mistakes as they've had yeah so 
That's one of my favourite sayings is success is due to good judgment, good judgment is due to experience, and experience is due to bad judgment. You know, so you're not going to get anywhere unless you keep failing. That's where you'll learn your best. Mm, It's like failing good. Failing good. How to fail gracefully or, or good without wanting to, I don't know, dramatize about it without being too reckless struggle well yeah. we talked about it struggle the other day well. struggling well hey yeah mm. oliver you've, you've you've achieved a lot i mean I, I, I look at your business and, and the number of people you've helped train and send it to the veterinary world it, it is it's exceptional not <laughs> not supposed to use that use that word but it has um your, your journey to get where you are has has been up and down and it has it at, at, a, at a stage uh, taking you to some to some dark places um to tell us a little bit about that in as much detail or, or as little detail as, as you want just to, to set the scene for for when things for how you learned about all these things and when when things do go wrong and go too far yeah it's interesting um i guess i i've always been i've always probably thought too much which got me into trouble um about myself or being self-critical or whatever and um but I always tried to do my best and get back up and sort of go again. And when I I started my first job, the day after graduation, I, I was still there nine and three quarter years later. So I didn't quite get my 10 year long service leave. Mm-hmm. But um, started my own business and, you know, it, it sort of boomed. It doubled in size. It went from 250 to 500 to a million turnover in the first three years. And I had no clue about running a business. You know, I was, I was okay as a vet, but just it just boomed i I just was lucky enough to fall upon a niche market that was ready to go and uh, so before i knew it and at the same time uh, we started a young family and i read this book called raising boys um Mm. it was uh, by steve bidoff and it it, one of the key things i remember from it was him saying that if um if you're working more than 55 hours when you when your son's hit it's six you're, yep. you're not going to make it as a dad you're going to yeah make it. yeah i've read that as well it's a yeah yeah and i thought i don't want to be a failure i'm not a failure i can be a good dad so anyway my eldest son turned six and i'm working 100 hours and i thought oh this is shit mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, i got a I, it wasn't meant to play out like this but it had and um so i thought well i'll put more people on you know to get um help me work less and but because i didn't have the systems i didn't know about business i didn't you know have any good uh, mentors or anything. I just putting more people on actually had me working more because I was having to, you know, explain train and all that sort of thing. And I'd actually been also seeing a, um, a local clinical psychologist who was, uh, she called herself a life coach. I'd been seeing her for 18 months to try and help me be more efficient, more, you know, resilient, all that sort of thing. So, um, but anyway, in the end, she, uh, I was sort of sent to her on this day in November by my wife and she said, go and tell her you're either depressed or you've got bipolar. So I walk in there and, and a good husband, I said, I'm either depressed or got bipolar. So she said, okay, we started talking about depression. And, well, mainly depression she was talking about. And she said, here, get these pills from your GP and take them and off you go and um, you'll feel better in a few weeks, but you might have a bit of a belly upset. So just start low and build up. And so I did that and thought I was going to be Superman because I was already, you know, kicking a few goals and that, but I didn't realise just how bad they can make you feel. And no one had warned me. Anyway, I was in a psychosis about 10 days later and attempted suicide. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, I was five days in a coma. 
um, you know, survived leap the barb somehow. But um, yeah, a series of miracles I managed to survive. And um, yeah, so after that, it, it sort of got real. And um, I started seeking some really good help after that. And I learned a lot about depression and a lot about um, the whole suicide thing. And suddenly came to light just how present and common it was in our profession. And yeah, I just sort of, I've lost a few mates to it as well. And um, it really led to me wanting to try and get the word out there and try and help others to avoid going down that pathway and just learning some key things. Because it is, you know, you can't oversimplify it. But when you look back, you know, anyone could have seen it coming for me. And, you know, I watch, you know, some other really talented kids who are very energised vets and that, that they just... Um, just can overdo things and not not stay balanced enough, I think, and burn out. And but yeah, learnt a lot about that, and it's good to see things coming on. But um, yeah, I could talk about this for hours, basically. So I won't yeah, I'm sure. That's a thanks for sharing that. That's a yeah. it's an incredible thing to go through, and 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 what a privilege for us to for you to have gotten through that and and learn from it and and teach us a couple of things from it. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's it is interesting, and I sort of feel it's my it's my duty to try and um, help others from it. Um, you know, from what I learned, and even just you know how to find a good psychiatrist. Or and I, it's amazing how many vets reached out to me when after it happened and helped me with what that experience. But they said, you know, back in. 2005 it wasn't in the press much it wasn't so mm. you know that even things like you know i got a tip from a very a very famous professor who was a dean of vet school who'd been battling for a long time and he said to me you've got to um realize that half the psychologists and psychiatrists out there only did the course to try and work themselves out so you don't want to use them <laughs> <laughs> you've got to find the other people who are you so little tips like that and it, it was he was spot on too like i went yeah it's a fascinating thing but it's just so devastating you know and, and it was massively harmful to my family and um you know i think they're still suffering i was lucky i was asleep through the whole ordeal but um yeah just so devastating and i yeah a good mate who visited me in hospital you know he couldn't understand why and what i did and all that and Two years later, he did the same thing. And didn't oh, really? Mm. Oh, wow. That was pretty crap. And that's been one of the driving forces for me, you know, feeling, you know, it, he, he, should, he should still be here. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm, great vet, you know, great family man, great guy. And yeah, it's such a tragedy. Oliver, you, you, say, you said earlier that anybody could have seen it coming or, or would have seen it coming with the the problem is that it, in so many cases, nobody sees it coming. And I mean, I, and I ask these questions for, for personal reasons because it, it does seem like it's people who are doing really well, um, externally, and then suddenly they just not. Um, looking back at it, or if you had to advise somebody like me or anybody else out there, are there are there warning signs? Because I, I think part of when we we, we touched on this earlier about the vets well not just vets but vets specifically our ability to put up with shit and just get on with shit and go yeah this is it is tough but it's part of the gig and i i've done it through uni and i've I've been doing it for 10 years um what is the difference between yeah things are you know i'm doing it tough or or i am now at the precipice of a crisis is yeah. it, are, there, are there hallmarks of, of going okay shit i really should be should be mm -hmm. careful now 
I think the the questions are like like that's in the press. It's the are you okay, are you okay question. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about taking your own life? You know, and I think the stats are that most vets have had the the thought go through their head at some stage. Um, and it's often the suicidal thought is a very fleeting thought. It often just comes and goes. And if you can ride out the storm, it'll go, and then you will feel better again. Whereas depression and anxiety are more chronic conditions, so they'll they'll hang around longer, but that's when, when you're in that state, that's when you're going to be at risk of getting this fleeting thought of suicide, which um, may turn up. And if it turns up in the, in the wrong time, when you're isolated, when you've just had a major traumatic event, such as a, a uh, relationship breakdown or something, and if you've got the means to act upon it, you're at high risk if you're in that situation. So I guess it's the whole um, trying to as far as can you see it coming from my point of view is anyone who's really out of balance, if you see them looking really run down, really tired or really anxious or not themselves or just looking, you know, they might keep working, but, and unfortunately it's really hard. And I, I know a couple of vets right now who are probably in that situation. I've tried to talk to them about, you know, backing off, setting a holiday, saying that sort of thing. And vets are stubborn buggers. <laughs> They, um, it's hard to talk them out of it. And that's something that, you know, I don't know the answer to that in how you try and, because I have physically had to lead a, a friend who was, uh, you know, talking about taking his own life and, you know, going home to do it. And we had to intercept him. And um, But, yeah, it's, it's just an awful situation, awful scenario. And um, so I think when you say what were the signs, the signs are getting out of bad you know like and that can be working crazy hours you know working too much not getting enough sleep not getting enough social time with friends family because the three big protective factors are good exercise good diet and tribe so if you're not getting you know if you're missing out big time on one of those three things and you know working too much you're going to start losing your social contacts your social commitments and you're you know playing sport uh, you're not going to get your exercise you're going to start you know you're rushing around you pull over and you grab a coke and a pie and you start doing that too much that's going to mess with your head yeah. um you know it and there's only you know i think i think the stats are around 30 percent of the population is prone to it so it means 70 percent you know aren't going to go down that path but the fact that 30%, that means everyone's probably going to know someone who's going to go go there. And, you know, that's where I guess the, the push is to try and get that mental health first aid as widespread as possible because it might be your brother, it might be your son, it might be your father, um, you know, that becomes affected by that. But in, in the veterinary profession, we've got the, you know, the long hours, low pay, access to lethal means all the time and the isolation um, through work and a lot and, you know, so that brings with it more risk of relationship breakdown and that sort of thing. So, and, you know, that's a big problem. And I, I hear um, young vets come into our workshops and it is being talked about at universities now much more than it used to. But I had a comment last year from one of them saying, we get it so much drilled into us now that we're almost feeling like when we become a vet, we are going to get depressed. Like, so yeah. it's a little bit of a risk of going too far on that as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we've got to keep it in perspective. But I think the key is the, the balance, the health, the get serious about your health and mm. serious about, you know, resilience and looking after your mind and learning to control thoughts and that sort of thing. Because we, we never learned that stuff, you know. We're sort of mm. just expected that we're 
gurus and high achievers, but we don't learn the basics, you know, staying healthy and mm. having good mental health and good thought, you know, thought control, controlling your mood, um, benefits of exercise. And those who are just, it's inheriting them, you know, they just cruise through life and have a great life, but mm. um, they're probably the, the 10 or 20% of the top. I think it's important to, to point out as well that, that everything you say applies not just to the extreme example of, of suicide. Mm. There's also a lot of in between just, just, yeah. just yeah. exploding your career or your relationship mm. or yeah. it doesn't, it, it doesn't just mean that this is, we're talking about how to prevent the extreme case scenario. It's also yeah. just for everybody in between as well. Yeah. It, it affects your, your decision-making your choices, you know, you, reasoning uh, makes you more likely to snap at someone else and that's something I've I sort of thought with um, as vets we you know practicing we always get that unreasonable client comes in but it's the reality is is that they're probably just haven't they're you know they've got some mental health issue mm. having a bad day but they don't come in with a cast around the head saying you know, you know my bipolar is playing up or something like that they come in and abuse you and you got to learn to not take it personal at all. It's it's really about them. It's nothing to do with you as a vet, and whereas vets take it personally to get yelled and screamed at. Yeah, mm. totally. And and I've I've seen that numerous times within the, the veterinarians that work at our hospitals. Being an emergency, middle of the night, um, and a fiso are higher than they are than um, general practice or every, you know, daytime fees. So. They're in a situation where their pet is sick and unwell, so that's stressful. And they're mm. in a situation where they're somewhere they'd never been before with, with a vet they'd never met before, which is stressful. Mm. And they get whacked with the whole fees, which are higher than normal. That's mm. even more stressful. And it's kind of like this melting pot of just emotion yeah. that um, I suppose just comes out as, um, as anger, no, anger mm. or mostly anger. A lot of upsetness, mm. um, but um, the the one that we that impacts us the most is the anger. And um, when it does happen, there's a lot of discussions within the team. It's about, hey, look, th this is the situation. The situation has nothing to do with what you've said. It's just them yeah. trying to figure out. You know, it's just them processing the whole thing. And sometimes mm. it's too much to process. Mm. Yeah, got to learn the ducking and dodging technique. Mm. Mm. Get rid of the keeper and works in relationships too. Yeah. <laughs> the ducking and dodging eh? <laughs> you've got to keep your shoulders at least facing their way but you just got to let it keep going yeah, like, which, which oh, I, I'll, I'll selectively dodge uh, dodge that one <laughs> I heard that they were straight out the other side the other ear yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to bite on that one yeah. <laughs> oh, um, wow. so Oliver the, if it, when you find yourself at a crisis point whether, whether it is just yeah. You know, I think I'm going to quit being a vet or whether more extreme than that. What, um, have you got any, any practical advice as to what you do, which resources do you reach for? You, you, even, even you talk earlier about finding the right psychologist. Have you, what, what, what have you learned in this regard? Yeah, I guess, um, the big thing for me, like I did a cognitive behavior course, therapy course, CBT course, and that was brilliant in, and I wish I had a, started in about year three because that's when <laughs> I started some negative mental health you know thoughts and issues and that but that was really about just 
grabbing those negative thoughts that tend to gather a bit of momentum, like, you know, a little fire that starts gathering momentum and suddenly it's a bushfire. And, and I think with if you're living with these thoughts, and most people, for me, you know, it's from the age of 10, I started getting these, you know, pretty negative thoughts and that. And they could, you know, be going good and then, um, you know, could have one pop up and if usually in response to some adverse thing that happened, whether it be a case or whatever, and mm -hmm. they could just, you know, gather momentum very quickly and go from sort of zero to a hundred in a millisecond in the end. So this, the CBT course was all about learning to grab those thoughts and say, hang on brain, what are you talking about here? Show me some evidence that what you're worried about is right. You have no evidence. Piss off and shut, you know, go back into your cage sort of thing, you know, get on with it. Yeah. That was, you know, it in a nutshell was learning to grab those thoughts and, you know, really say, well, you know, you're just being ridiculous here. So I guess there's a little bit about having that conversation with your own brain and not letting them run away. Um, there was that aspect to it. I also have done, um, you know, look for other, other resources and there's plenty out there now and, um, you know, audio books and that sort of thing. And um, one of the things... I learned from those was um, most of the time when you're stressed or it, it usually comes down to fear, fear that you're going to lose something, fear that something's not going to happen or fear that it's going to be a delay in, in getting it, um, what you're sort of chasing. And so if it comes down to that, one of the best ways to um, sort of repel or counteract that, that fear of loss or delay or um, not achieving what you're after is to really focus on what you're grateful for in the situation to find a positive in that situation, no matter what, you know, whether it be, well, should I just killed that dog, but I just learned that that, you know, shouldn't be done for next time. Or, and they're often things that old timers, you know, grandmas and grandpas have taught kids, you know, over the years and that, but just trying to find some sort of three things that you're grateful for when you're feeling really stressed and that can be a good antidote and sort of help you straight away and really, you know, focus hard on those, those things that you're grateful for because everyone can find three things that they're grateful for. Mm. Um, and the other thing is just, you know, things like don't sweat the small stuff because it's all small stuff and, mm. um, you know, stuff like that. I just realized that it's not worth getting stressed at. And that's what I say to my team. Now I have a, about nine staff and I just say to them, look, it's not worth getting stressed over this, you know, just we do our best, we make mistakes, we lick our wounds, we get up and we try not to repeat it and, you know, it'll, it'll be okay and it usually is. Um, yeah. yeah. It's all first world problems mostly that we're getting stressed about. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes um, it's it, it's difficult when you're, when you're really quite in there to really think of three things that to be grateful for. Um, but sometimes it's good to have some stock standard ones. And for mm. me, some stock standard ones are the sky is blue today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Look up at the sky. Yeah. It's like, oh, shit, the blue. The sky is blue today. The grass is green. So mm. it could, like sometimes even just simple things like that, like mm. just real fundamental, like, yeah. So I've been in situations where I've been incredibly stressed and and pulled out the gratefulness um, tool and, and really struggled to actually find gratefulness. But then yeah. what I felt then is that I needed some rule some fundamental backup ones that I could pull out and, yeah. and the fundamental ones were family, yeah. um, my partner, um, the sky is blue and the grass is green. I heard a, a good, uh, a good Ted talk by, uh, it's a, I think it's a Benedictine monk who it's, it's a whole talk is about gratefulness. 
So here's another one for you, Gerardo. Uh, he, he, his theory or his whole talk goes is about that you're truly grateful when you receive a gift. So if you if you receive something that you didn't pay for or you didn't work for or anything, you, somebody just gives you something, that's a, a true feeling of gratefulness can arise from that. Every moment that you have is a gift. Mm. You not you don't deserve it. The moment, the fact that you, you haven't just dropped dead, is really out of your control. You don't deserve it. Uh, so every moment that you have is an opportunity to mm. go. Oh shit, that's really great. I I'm, I'm grateful that I'm that I'm still sitting here. Yeah. Um, which is a, it's a, it sounds silly, but I think it is quite a useful one. And the, and then he ends the talk by saying, and we're going to forget that, and we're going to be ungrateful. But the great thing is. The next moment will be along right right away. And you can try again. <laughs> you try again, true. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. There's another one, you know, if you think you're having a tough day, there's plenty of people in the graveyard who'd be happy to swap places with you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh that's that's like yeah, that's totally true. Totally true. But it really takes it to one level that's kind of more extreme, but yes. <laughs> Yeah. I'll, th I'll throw this in. That, that just reminded me it's actually a, thing, a podcast I listened to last night just a story podcast and it's a guy who is talking to his sister who's on a deathbed it's a bit of a morbid morbid background uh, and he, he's sitting there telling her how much he loves her and she says do you love me enough to swap places with me and then he says <laughs> and then he says oh, he felt uncomfortable in his head he's going no ways are you crazy and, but, he, but he felt too bad to say it so he said to her do you really want to be married to my wife and raise my children? And she said, well, if you put it that way, no thanks. All right. So where are we now? Now we've completely straight off the straight off the point. Well, that that's really valuable. I am. I that that's already great great advice. Um, the, the, other, the other thing, I guess, um, some other sort of physical tips for in those situations are, you know, really making sure that you focus on, well, even things like changing your body language and breathing and, you know, taking three deep breaths or change your, your stance, you know, instead of slumping down or, um, you know, if, if you've got, if no one's watching you do some, you know, extreme exercise for a couple of minutes, you know, that can be powerful too for changing your mood pretty quick. Um, you probably can't do that in front of an animal. You know. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that in an exam. I was, in, I was sitting my membership exams, and all of a sudden, one of the candidates in the room got in the middle of the corridor, in the middle of the aisle, and just did like twenty push-ups. Stood there, kind of like all power posing, and kind of sat back down again. I was just like, okay. <laughs> That's a, yeah, well. There we go. <laughs> That's changing your mood. Yeah. yeah. So I love it. Like power posing exercise. Uh, Oliver, the, the, the CBT, the cognitive, cognitive behavior therapy, just, just in case anybody's interested in that, is that through a psychologist or uh, courses or where do you find that? I think there's, I think there's a lot of options out there. I actually did it through a hospital in Brisbane and it was an eight week course where we went uh, two mornings a week for eight weeks. So that was pretty intense. Okay. Um, but it really, yeah, but there's everything right down to, you know, audio books and books mm. about it and there's plenty out there. Um, the thing that suited me was that it had a lot of science behind it. It was easy to understand the, um, you know, the evidence of it. It wasn't too sort of airy-fairy and 
Um, it was taught by Professor Oi, who was at Queensland University, who was sort of one of the pioneers of it. And um, I asked him at the end, I said, why isn't this stuff taught in schools, in primary schools? You know, it all yeah. seems very, um, very useful. And his, his reply was that because depression and anxiety only affect about 30% of people, he means that yeah, he thought that, well, 70% of the kids wouldn't have a clue what you're talking about with these negative thoughts and trying to get onto them. And um, yeah, so that was interesting. But you talk to teachers now and they're saying the level of depression and anxiety in their primary school students are much higher than they were 10 or 15 years ago. So whether whether it will become more mainstream or not, I don't know. But it, it has sort of stood the test of time a little bit in that there's been other things that have come and gone, but CBT seems to be still um, getting good, you know, review as being beneficial. Would there be any websites you might be able to share with us or, or a book or something you might be able to share with us that um, we can put in the, um, you might need to send, send later to Hubert yeah, yeah. and then um, we can add it in the, the notes. Yeah. 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 That and the, the mindfulness stuff is also good. You know, it's the other thing that's, and that's all about just trying to switch your mind off for, you know, whether it's for one minute, one minute a day, because uh, vets have often got very active minds and, you know, thinking about 10 things at once sort of thing. So mm. um, that's a good way to just reset the chemistry a little bit. And um, yeah, there's more and more evidence coming that that stuff is important, you know, for our for the biochemistry. and physiology of our brain and that, um, you know, trying to get your brain to produce some, some good hormones and neurotransmitters rather than the, rather than the stressful, destructive adrenaline and, you know, cortisol and that sort of thing. You want to be Valium and, you know, uh, (laughs) that's a, it's a skill that though, the, the, the mindfulness thing, it's it's something I'm I'm trying to work on as well, but I, uh, I think what I'm trying to say is it's, you can't just suddenly think you're going to do it when you are stressed or when when you're in a panic situation. I, I trying to yeah. practice it in, in between. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that should be starting to. I don't know how much the vet schools are doing, but you got to because these things aren't schools that you learn at home necessarily. The more you can practice them before the emergency, the more useful they can be to you. Totally. A lot of people just think it's a you know waste of time. And I remember in vet school we had Professor Heath, and he was teaching us a subject about dealing with unreasonable clients and that sort of thing. And we we're in fourth year, and everyone sort of thought it was a bit of a joke, but it turned out to be probably one of the most useful you know, courses we did in the whole. Uh, you know, one of the most useful subjects we did in the whole course, as far as you know, helping you to survive on the outside. Yeah. Yeah, they, you're so focused. Um, I think that's a large reason why we started this project with Mimi Gerardo is everybody seems so focused and so concerned and so worried about the, the clinical aspect of the career mm. and everything else. You think, oh, well, I'll get there one day. Yeah. And then those are the things that come and bite you in the yeah. yeah. ass yeah. at some stage. Yeah. For the listeners out there, there are numerous apps you can get on your phones which help um, with increasing um, mindfulness. And one that I use is called Headspace. Yeah. And it's a really good one too, because it nags you to actually exercise uh, mindfulness. And there's, it, 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 there's varying levels in um, duration of exercises as well. So some which only for like a minute, two minutes, six minutes, 20 minutes. Um, and then also there's various different um, types of exercises for different um, situations you're in when you're trying to focus, when you're trying to de-stress, when you're trying to relax and so forth. So 
um, it's worth investigating. Um, and if it wasn't for something like an app for myself, mm. um, I wouldn't actually be, yeah. be doing it. Yeah, there's quite a few. I, I, I tried Headspace for some reason. I, I fell off the wagon with, with Headspace. Um, but I've, I've found another one recently called uh, The Waking Up Course with Sam, Sam Harris. Um, that, that resonates with me more. I, I, I like that one. Um, so, yeah, there's, there, there are quite a few. Uh, that, that's, mm. what I'm, that's what I'm saying. It's a, it's a hard skill to learn because e- even with the guided, the guided meditations and that, it's still, uh, again, I think mm. it comes back down to the performance thing. You sit there thinking, I suck at this. I should be much better at it. And it's a, yeah. uh, it's a, I was yeah. just not for falling asleep with them, but yeah. they suck okay too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't, when you're saying that I suck at this, I should, I should be much better. This is the situation um, came to mind for me where, um, it's probably two years ago. Um, I remember doing a cat, like, like a kitten spay. Mm-hmm. And these things you should take like, I don't know, 10, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I can't remember now. Like I don't remember taking very long um, when I used to do them back when I was, when I first graduated because like, you'd learn them pretty quick and the yep. don't believe very much and so forth. And this spay turned into an X lap because I completely forgot normal anatomy. So used to doing GDVs, um, resection, anastomosis, septic peritonitis, splenectomies and things mm-hmm. that when it came to actually like a normal spay, I was just like, do I cut below the umbilicus? Do I cut above the umbilicus? But so it's turned into an X lap, and then yeah. next thing you know, how the guts out everywhere, and I was trying to find the ovary. Like it was, it was actually pretty stressful. And I had to stop and go, okay, settle the fuck down. Yeah. Okay, you know, what's what's next? What's yeah. the next step? What's the next step? What's next? I've got through it all, but it was actually the whole thing about, um, yeah, when you have what? these expectations of yourself and you don't match them, that's for sure. It wasn't a male kitten, was it? <laughs> oh, there. gosh. Yeah. There, so I was yeah. doing a, a castration from the inside. Yeah. <laughs> um, Oliver, have you got any any specific tips for, for youngsters entering the profession at the moment? Of, of, uh, things that you've learned from, from your whole experience uh, and, and from your career that, that you can advise him on? Yeah. Um, I... I thought of five and then it's grown to seven. So I was one. <laughs> when I spoke to you yesterday, it was six. <laughs> um, one more. One more. If got but, um, yeah, I think it's, it's learning from other successful people who are doing it. And it's, and they often, you know, older people who have survived the test of time and life and that sort of thing. But one of the big things is that gratefulness and no matter how little or how much you have, um, there's always someone worse off than you in the world. And, um, and you know, I think we're just so damn lucky to live in Australia, you know, so, so safe. So, you know, the worst comes to worst, you've still got a roof over your head and can find food, you know. Yeah. Um, 90% of the world's population are earning less than $3 a day. So, you know, we're pretty damn lucky in Australia. But, um, yeah, so that gratitude, you know, be grateful for your ability that you can work. There's a lot of people who can't work because of some physical disability or injury or something. And, you know, that you you wanted to do this as a kid. And, you know, a lot of people are 40s and 50s and they still don't know what they wanted to do. They And what they want to do as a kid is so far from uh, what they're doing, it's not funny. So I think we've, yeah, really got to focus on that gratitude. Um, I've always worked on trying to give more than I've received and um, be as generous as you can to others. And um, 
you know, the, the experts say that the beauty of that is it feels good at the time, but it also ends up coming back to you sort of tenfold. Mm-hmm. And it might be in some strange way. And um, I could give you a, a example of that through um, my current partner. I actually met her indirectly because um, I was down doing some horses teeth and they, uh, the lady who had them, she had about five horses herself. And, um, and there was this other one that um, a little pony and, she said, look, they, they can't afford to get it done and, you know, they'd be in trouble if they get it done and spend money on the vet and that. And I said, well, just throw it in. I'll do it for free and don't worry about it. Mm. And then a few years later, I meet this person. And it turns out that she actually owned that pony and um, she's now my partner. Oh, wow, that's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> so, she's, so in the end, she's paying for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, but the, the thing I learned from that CBT professor was, and that, you know, it's good to give more than you receive, but that was one of the things that professor always said, you've got to make sure you, you only give away things you can afford to, and whether that be in the way of time or money or effort or services or whatever, if you can't afford it, if you haven't got the time, you've got to say no, sorry, I don't have the time to do that. Whereas I think as, you know, service providers, you know, compassionate people, if that's often are, we give away more of our time than we can really afford to when it comes back and bites us on the bum. It's, you know, and yeah, you start for, you're right. Um, you've gone a little bit soft there, Oliver. I don't know what's happened to your sound. Oh, sorry. Um, that's it. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt so, you. Yeah, don't, you know, try and give more than you receive, but don't give away what you can't afford to give away that's going to, you know, lead to your burning out. Because if you burn out, you're going to be useless to everyone um Mm. so the other thing is uh the third tip uh learn as much about being a high performer um as you can and that's what's you know all leading veterinarians are they're high performers and they're like ceos or elite athletes or whatnot and uh they're the ones who have really got their shit together from health energy resilience relationships intelligence wealth you know, those guys who have got it all together, they've often do things, their habits are different to what the status quo is. And mm. um, there's now plenty of information about how to, you know, live your life like them through doing the, the simple things and um, little things like, you know, doing a little bit of exercise each morning, you know, being grateful each morning, talk about three things you're grateful for, um, having a cold shower, you know, stuff like that. Mm. Um, uh, little little habits that that's, you're studying how they do it, you know, because often they weren't the greatest or the, the smartest in their class or anything, you know, they, were, they just learned to do things better. And, um, you know, that, that all leads to healthier, more longer lasting careers, you know, more successful, rewarding, often higher paying careers. Um, and often they're skills that you didn't learn at university, you know, they weren't part of the curriculum, you didn't learn it from your mum or dad. So, yeah, learn as much as possible about high performance and that'll help you in many ways. Number four was uh, doing goal setting each year, um, but make sure you review them daily, weekly and monthly and um, makes a big difference in the long-term outcomes of anyone's career or life. And make sure you do them not just in your career, but also in your health and in your relationships and uh, your finances, spirituality, hobbies, you know, fun things that you want to do, but mm. keep reviewing them because if, you know, if you're finding that it's not working and they're not giving you the buzz, you know, try something else, be mm. prepared to, to change. Um, number five was treating your life and career. This is a big one that really gets me through a lot of those stressful times um, because 
I, I tend to um, joke around a fair bit and do silly things at times and that. So I'm off course, you know, like a plane flying from Sydney to LA, you're getting blown off course 95% of the time. But so mm-hmm. long as you know where you want to get back, to, you know, back on course, you'll get there in the end and you'll be happy and, you know, fulfilled and proud of it. So don't worry if you're getting blown off course, just hang in there and you'll get back on track and it'll, it'll all be fine. Because I used to get stressed if I, and get, you know, disillusioned or down and out because it's, you know, I've stopped doing those exercises or this or that and now I don't tend to worry about it. I just okay. say, yeah. back on the bike and off you go again and it, 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 you soon get there. Yeah. Um, the other one, I think I've made a lot of bets in the courses and when you get talking to the, you sort of realise they, they don't, they're doing it, but they don't really know why they're doing it. And um, I think you need to sort of spend a bit of, we spend so much time learning about medicine and surgery and all this, but we spend very little time on learning about ourselves and what we really want out of life. Um, and it might come down to breaking it right down to the feelings that you want. Because some people are really adrenaline junkies and they want adventure and all that. So they can probably be doing the more risky veterinary work. Whereas those who want safe and secure, they probably need the more, you know, controlled environment, you know, high, high level of low level of risk, um, you know, more, more routine sort of stuff. Um, and that's one of the things I'm probably more, yeah, I have two sides to me. Sometimes I can be um, a bit risque and other times I'm looking for the more security and that's why dentistry is good for me because I've got a lot of certainty you're going to help every horse you see basically. Yeah. Um, but you're also going to see plenty of variety so you don't get too bored with it. Um, yeah, trying to find what makes you tick as a person, what makes you, what feelings you're chasing. Um, if so yeah try to find the job description that will match what feelings make you feel fulfilled um it's no good you know being a real risk taker personality and being in a mundane job it's just not going to work so um and once you know what type of person you are try and find um you know what you want to do and then look for role models who are good at doing that stuff and try and learn from them rather than trying to reinvent the wheel and that'll certainly help you um you know leapfrog a, a fair bit and the the last one number seven was um learning to embrace failure and um you know a lot of vet, stu- vet students or undergrads have been high achievers you know top in their class never failed an exam that sort of thing and then they're gonna you know be launched into the real world where animals do die and it's not like bondi vet all the time and <laughs> they all get better and um you know, it's that saying that success is due to good judgment, good judgment's due to experience and experience is due to bad judgment. Yep. So you've got to, you know, embrace your mistakes and just learn from them, acknowledge them. They'll, um, they'll keep coming and it's all part of, you know, growing your, your comfort bubble around you. You know, you're not going to get anywhere unless you try more difficult things. So, mm. That's great. That's, that's excellent. Gerardo? Your sound's off, Gerardo. You've muted yourself. There you go, he's back. I did mute myself. Yeah. Um, someone came through the door and I thought it was the delivery man. Um, yeah, Oliver, that, 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 was a, that was really good. I love all seven of those. Um, a lot of those resonate. Actually, all of them resonate highly with me because I, I do believe in every single one of those ones. The, the one about the finding you know, an expert or a mentor, I, I do think that um, you know, sometimes you can read things, sometimes you can, um, learn things yourself, but there's, there's 
certain things which actually are so much more powerful if there's someone that can guide you through it and mm. you can learn so much quicker so yeah the one that i that um it's an interesting one that i that i, that I like is the figuring out why you're doing it and, and who you are mm. the the challenge is sometimes learning who you are how mm. how do you figure it out and when when do you do it yeah um, I, I, I yeah any any input on that i, I was going to say something smart but i can't think of a think of an answer yeah i actually heard that concept first from listening to a tony robbins cd um and he really got down into the nitty-gritty of it and it just resonated with me and that it, it made a lot of sense that if that's the you know if that's the because we're really after just feelings in whatever we do and um you know the feeling you're chasing you know if your job can deliver those feelings or if your career can then you're going to feel fulfilled whereas if your jobs if you're a real safe and secure person and you're in a job that's really chaotic and you know lots of high risk and that you're not going to be very happy so i think trying to find out which one of those and there's many different classes of course you know we're not we're not straight down the line you want a bit of you know a bit of variety and spice in there as well but trying to find what fit you are for that for that position or for that career or for that job or that job placement i think you can keep doing it in in various aspects whether it be what sport you play or whether you know what nightclub you go to what restaurant you go to um, yeah. yeah what car you buy you know yeah absolutely the uh, i think the the one thing i i can add to to that or, or, or yeah chip in there is it those sort of thought processes do take a bit of time yeah you, know, you need to allocate yourself time yeah to th well for the goal setting all of these things every now and again you need to set some time aside uh, That's right, yeah. to 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 spend on this you yeah. can't do it if you're working 100 hours a week and, no. and all you're doing is thinking about cases and, and yeah. just keeping your head above water yeah and that's that whole balance thing that you know how much time does your average vet spend learning about cases reading on cases and then how much do we spend on learning how to be a better father a better partner a better you know a better brother you know we spend very little time but the ones who are very good at it they do dedicate time to think about it or to study it or to learn how to do it better mm. um yeah and that's i think yeah trying to find that balance and trying to build your skills to um, be able to handle the tough times when they arrive because they will arrive if you live long enough. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. yeah, definitely um, building the skills and practicing them. It's just like as if you're at the gym, right? Yeah. He, yeah. he doesn't mm. put the heaviest, you know, he doesn't put your whole body weight on a chest press and go, no. go do it, right? It builds yeah. you up slowly, session yeah. after session. So it's it's when you really do do need that that you can pull it up. It's yeah, pull it out. And I think there's a saying where you don't you don't rise to the challenge. You fall back to your level of training. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. So we'd like to think that we can rise to the challenge, and sometimes we can, right? But it's only probably because we've un subconsciously or or previously kind of been there before. Mm. But I think it's unrealistic to to feel like as if we can just ride rise to every single challenge we have to be prepared and practice and and, and try to be better mm. so, yeah that's great is there any particular book that you could offer our, our listeners um any book that sort of resonated um powerfully for you or yeah um i guess the the first introduction i got to books about this sort of stuff was 
from a vet I visited in Kentucky in 1997. And he told me to get this book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that was a, a life changer for me. And that actually, you know, stimulated me to start looking for other books and that and realising that the world just wasn't as you saw it through the lens that you were, you know, gifted by your upbringing, that, uh, that there are many different ways to look at, you know, everything in life. So um, that sort of started my starting to look at things differently. And other books that have been standing there, it's a more recent one I've read is The High Performance Habits by Brendan Burchard. Okay. Um, it's, you know, I think it really applies to veterinarians because to be a good vet and hold it together in all aspects of your life, you've got to be like an elite sportsman yeah. uh, or a, you know, CEO sort of level yeah. energy and resilience and coping and all that sort of stuff. And here's these guys who are making it, breaking it down into small, simple, doable sort of parts, just, just like learning a technique, a surgical technique or something, you know, it's all about breaking, chunking it down. Other book, um, Unshakable by Tony Robbins, that was a good one on finances and just resilience in that as well. Yeah. Um, the Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman, that was a great one my partner introduced me to and it explained a whole lot about relationships and how to make so just show, I've got that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> Have you read it or you need to oh, get it? I, I haven't. I, I just see Gerardo's no, putting it out. No, I just put it out because we all same books i've got a terrible confession i have that book somebody gave it to me as a wedding present and i've never it's actually, it's actually a really easy i've book. never read it i chew it it's a very book <laughs> very simple and uh yeah there's there's an audio book as well okay okay that's good i'll go for that <laughs> the one um the one on finance is a barefoot investor and i think that's one that's a big stress for a lot of vets is finances because you know long hours low pay is the norm but i think there's also plenty of opportunity to be wealthy as a vet and you know most vets who become wealthy could have done it in any professional trade because they had the right mindset and used the right techniques and skills and that but um I sort of say to young vets now, try and get your financial habits in order as quick as you can so that you're not having to, um, you know, you'll enjoy the profession a whole lot more if you're doing it sort of as a hobby than as it is to to feed your family all the time. So try and get smarter how you handle and think Absolutely. about it. Yeah. That's a great book. I, um, I'm going to find a way to get Scott Paper onto this podcast at some stage yeah. to, to, yeah. to, to talk about it. And it's common sense stuff. Yeah, but what yeah. I, what surprises me when you talk to people is how how they just don't have that common sense knowledge. Yeah, so I think yeah. it's a very very valuable one. Yeah. And it's so good. He's sort of updating it each year and keeping it relevant to Australia and that so sort of. It's, it was Australia's best selling book again over the Christmas yeah. period. Yeah. 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 Mm. And right. the other one, Industries of the Future, was an interesting book, and that was um, more just trying to look ahead at um, you know what's coming. You know, we're so much in a, in a era of so much rapid change and that and i think always want to be looking out for opportunities on the horizon and just thinking and um yeah and i think for young vets there's you know there's the vet profession is such a broad profession and so many opportunities in at at many many different levels and that so i think you know if you realize that clinical practice isn't for you you know don't despair there's another avenue absolutely yeah the the impact of technology and and, and all the changing workplace things. I, I, I often ponder about that in, in veterinary science. I, I can't spot it, but somebody's going to be smart somewhere and figure out clever ways of, of doing things better. 
yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a good one. Industries of the future. Do you have the author of that one? Uh, that's Alec Ross. Alec Ross. Okay, cool. That's a good one to, to add to the reading list there. Okay, cool. Um, Dorado, have you got anything else? I, I think no. that's, that's been extremely valuable. I think um, if, you, if you're done, we'll wrap up with the, with the final question. With our, uh, where, uh, you may have already discussed one of these, but I'm going to make you pick one. Oliver, our, our last question of all the, all the interviews is, is you're somewhere, you're at a Congress and you've got the whole world's veterinary new graduates in front of you and you've got a minute or two to give them one message. What's your message? Uh, it'd be to, you know, embrace life, embrace the fact that you've been gifted with a, a mind and a body, you know, that allows you to work as a, as a veterinarian that you wanted to do when you were a kid. You know, it's allowed you to be able to work hard to serve others and um, just keep reassessing your journey along the way and have some rest points scheduled so that you can stop and smell the roses and see what's, what's working, what's not working. Um, be kind to others, you know, do to others as you'd have them do unto you. And remember that life is a journey, not a race. Um, and one of my favourite sayings is, behold the turtle, you'll only go forward if you keep sticking your head out. And uh, I think Excellent. that's a good one. You've got to have a crack. Get out Excellent. and get it. Excellent. Awesome. So, we'll wrap it up with that. that. Oliver, that was amazing. I really appreciate you taking the time, Oliver, and, and, and being so open and honest. I, I think there's a, there's a lot to, to learn from that. It's going to take me a couple of listens to, to, to get all the, all the value out of that one. And I really appreciate it. Have a lovely, have a lovely day. No worries, Jensen. Yeah, well done, and thank you for for doing what you're doing. It's um, yeah, it, it's going to be. This is going to be something that could go worldwide, no doubt, with the with what you're doing there, eh? Thank you so much. We certainly hope so. Oliver talked about cognitive behavior therapy and mindfulness, and what huge benefits it had for him. Both Gerardo and I highly recommend developing some sort of a mindfulness routine. There are many ways to do this, but an easy start is using one of the apps that we mentioned during the episode. So download the Headspace app or the Waking Up with Sam Harris app and commit to doing the 10-day free trial to see if it works for you. There are lots of other resources out there. These are not the only two, but these are two that, that I've known that, that I know Gerardo's tried before as well. In the Waking Up app, there's a section called Lessons, and one of the lessons on there is one called don't meditate because it's good for you which talks about why you should meditate and what the benefits are and i think that's a great start to listen to that one and we've put the links for those on the show notes on the website um, and here's a tip it can take several weeks to start noticing any changes in your thought patterns so try to make a commitment to try it for at least four to six weeks before you decide that meditation and mindfulness is not for you one of all of his tips to survive veterinary science is to become a high performer. So what does a high performer mean? Or where can you start? First of all, for me, it's about clarity. Clarity about what it is you want. What do you want out of your career? What do you want out of your job? Don't be random or leave it to the whim of others. Think long and hard. Once you're clear on what you want or what's most important for you in the next one to two years, so if you come out of university, then maybe the first six months of your career is about been really good at general practice surgeries like spays and de then use laser focus and make it a priority. Then think of the five major moves you need 
to do or complete in order to get there. Once you're clear about what it is you want, then bring the energy. Don't wait for motivation to strike or for the energy to come to you in order for you to feel like you have the energy to do something. Take action before your brain stops and gives you reasons for why you can't do something. And then that will bring motivation. And then that will bring momentum, which will help you with your energy. Then with that energy and motivation, focus it and be intentional and deliberate with the actions you take towards achieving your five major moves. Then to take it to the next level, think about the habits and behaviors or traits that you would need to demonstrate on a more consistent basis in order for you to become a more consistent, high-performing version of you. Sometimes it helps for you to think of a professional athlete or a specialist or someone you look up to and, and admire and look at the traits that they demonstrate for inspiration about what traits you need to demonstrate on a consistent basis. Another one of Oliver's survival tips is being grateful. There's a lot of evidence that shows how beneficial it can be to your emotional state and mental well-being by consciously practicing gratefulness. Note that I say consciously practicing. It's one thing to know, as in to cerebrally know, that you have much to be grateful for. But that's not the same as being or feeling grateful. Now, we don't always feel grateful. Sometimes we're grumpy or we're tired or something happened that we're definitely not grateful for. So how do you practice gratefulness then? Well, you can start by thinking it until you feel it. Just the act, and this has been proven, that just the act of thinking about being grateful can actually start producing feelings of gratefulness. So here's your homework for the week. Start a habit of writing down three things that you are grateful for every morning. Have a notebook that you use just for this. And try to be creative. Don't just use the same things every day like I'm grateful for my family, grateful for my health. Think wide and think small. In other words, don't just focus on the big picture things, but think about the small things in your life, in your life like how warm your feet feel in those slippers or how much you love your morning coffee. I've included a link in the show notes to a podcast episode um, that I really liked about gratefulness. That's by Tim Ferriss. So it's well worth a listen to give you some inspiration on this. And that is us for this week. If you liked it and found it valuable, then I would love if you would share it with your friends and colleagues and also give us a five-star review on iTunes. Until next week, take care and go smash it. <laughs>